Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. Due to some technical difficulties during this episode, you'll be hearing me interrupt once in a while with this cybernetic communist voice. Maybe I will come back in future cameo. Let's Skype. I'm Reggie Truman with a look at headlines from around the world. The U.S. has blocked a vote on a U.N. Security Council resolution supporting a global ceasefire. The global ceasefire was to protect combatants and non-combatants from the threat of COVID-19. However, objections over a minor indirect reference to the World Health Organization caused the U.S. to not support the measure. The U.S. said it would only approve the mention of the WHO if the resolution included language critical of the agency and of China in their response to the pandemic. However, although the U.S. is still clamoring for war, some of its former adversaries are clamoring for peace. The Afghan Taliban has announced a three-day Eid ceasefire to mark the end of Ramadan. There are concerns across the Muslim world that Ramadan celebrations would be tainted with the spread of COVID-19. However, the rest of the Muslim world did not take that into account, with Egypt saying 21 fighters were killed during raids in the Sinai Peninsula and the GNA in Libya retakes military camps near Tripoli. The first of five Iranian oil tankers has entered Venezuela's waters, each carrying a million barrels of fuel. The Iranian tankers are being escorted by Venezuelan Navy and Air Force, The U.S. has said it is monitoring the convoy. Both Venezuela and Iran have warned Washington of interference if they do decide to tamper with the delivery. Venezuela is suffering a shortage of refined fuel, even though they have the world's largest oil reserves. The U.S. has not announced any plan to stop the Iranian tankers. However, U.S. Navy is patrolling the Caribbean Sea to counter what they call illicit drug trafficking. This comes on the heels of a militant incursion into Venezuela by what many believe were United States paramilitaries. Despite worldwide concern over the coronavirus pandemic, the United Nations says that the assassination of Colombia's social leaders has continued. Demobilized FARC members have also been targeted. In a press statement, UN observers to Colombia peace process condemned the assassination of FARC member Wilder Daniel Marin in Bello. So far, they say 24 demobilized guerrillas have been assassinated so far this year. The United Nations mission has said, quote, in the context of COVID-19, violence and conflict afflicted territories has continued since the beginning of the national quarantine. Six ex-combatants have been killed and at least 23 social leaders have been assassinated as registered by national sources. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has arrived in court for his trial on corruption charges. This comes days after he began a new term in office. The seven-year-old is the first standing leader to face trial in the country's history. He is stands accused of bribery, fraud, and breach of trust. Netanyahu claims that the cases were aimed to topple him in any way. However, he and his political rival, Benny Gantz, has agreed to share power following three inconclusive elections in under a year. Benjamin Yahoo has been indicted in three cases, Case 1000, Fraud and Breach of Trust, accused of receiving gifts, Case 2000, Fraud and Breach of Trust, accused of offering to help improve circulation of an Israeli newspaper, and Case 400, Bribery and 
brought in breach of trust, accused of promoting regulatory decisions favorable to controlling the shareholder in one telecom giant in Israel. California regulators have suspended a $200 million fine against Pacific Gas and Electric as punishment for the utility's neglect. The company's neglect ignited a series of deadly wildfires in Northern California. The waiving of the fee will deprive the state coffers of money to help offset losses of income and sales tax as the coronavirus pandemic pushes the state into a $54 billion deficit. PG&E has said that the fine would threaten its ability to raise the billions of dollars it needs to emerge from bankruptcy by June 30th. Public advocates have said that letting PG&E off the hook would set a troubling precedent that could lead to more problems in the future. The move reverses a February decision by an administrative law judge who determined that the $200 million fine was justified in light of the devastation the wildfire and PG&E's conduct had caused. And despite the pandemic, China has says that it is moving forward full steam ahead with eliminating absolute poverty by 2020. The director of the state council leading group office of poverty, alienation and development said that the timeline has remained unchanged to eliminate extreme poverty. Louis Yongfu has stated that positive progress has been made in the fight against poverty and said until now, the number of poor laborers who have gone out of work have already accounted for 95.4% of those who went out of work last year. He said more than 28 million poor laborers will go out of work this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The state council says that the number of impoverished rural residents has declined from nearly 100 million in late 2012 to just 5.51 million by the end of 2019. However, there are still 52 counties and 1,113 villages on the country's poverty list. I'm Reggie Truman for the Marxist Think Tank podcast. So we were talking about um, Triz and um, so like how like we brought up like how Triz was invented in the Soviet Union and it's like almost hard to implement in a capitalist okay. world. Like, Alright, sure. Uh, so I'll start where we uh, exactly where we left. The, the example that I was trying to talk about um, about how kind of just to get the point across of why kind of understanding of why a science, a like logical system like Triz is hard to implement in a fully capitalistic world, right? So the at the at around the nineteen seventies ish uh, time, um, there was the Soviet Union and NATO was both trying to develop next generation of main battle tanks, right? So the there were a few things to focus on. A bigger gun, obviously, with more penetration power. Um, it can basically want it to penetrate thicker steel plates, basically. Uh, the second part is the um, the rise of uh, the rise of composite armor, basically. Uh, what composite armor does is that it offers the same amount of protection as steel, but at a lighter weight. So, because like uh, chemical kind of rounds like RPG and missiles that we know today became a thing, so they needed to use composite armor because 
no matter how thick the conventional steel armor it is, it'll just be right through, right? Well, that's the second part. The third part is, of course, making it faster because, you know, faster is always better. It's just a no-brainer. Uh, along with things like uh, stabilization of the gun, when, you know, when the vehicle is driving, you want it to be stable so you can shoot on the move, et cetera, et cetera. So the Soviet Union, of course, are able to adopt a, uh, like, the kind of design process was quite smooth. They went from... Uh, an experimental object of uh, just like uh, there's only a few kind of criteria, right? Weight restriction. Uh, the caliber of the gun was uh, specifically um, designated, and then the minimum amount of armor thickness you need to achieve, and then the minimum amount of speed, and that's it. So the design bureaus, of course, they had all the power to like coordinate everything together. And so they went from a wooden mock-up model to just a really steel one that was pretty good. And then they just added composite armor, and everything was smooth. And it was smooth because um, the like they had everything at their disposal, right? central planning. Versus what happened in the West uh, with the, uh, at the time, MBT-70 or KPZ, Kampfpanzer-70, uh, was just a massive joke. Um, what is his name? MP... Uh, fuck. No, MBT-70. Main Battle Tank 70. Or the German word is uh, the Battle War Vehicle 70, so Kampf, Kampfpanzer 70, right? Uh, it was a massive joke because the Germans and the Americans are basically trying to scam each other with that whole thing. So Ger Germany, uh, the ruling that's responsible for like main battle tanks and like the heavier stuff is uh, Rheinmetall. Of course, it's the same Nazi company right? since uh, uh, since like even before World War One, during like the Franco-Prussian War, it was that it was the same company. Uh, yeah, I could be mistaken on that, but uh, Krupp Steel was definitely that. But uh, Ryan Mattel could be different. I don't don't mark my words on it. Uh, so they tried to tell the Americans that oh, we have the best gun, and since you know capitalism, you have to buy it from them, right? So the first promise that they are going to make a 150 millimeter gun, whereas a uh, 105 millimeter at the time could already do the job. Like, you know, it'll be 64. And the United States was like, okay, uh, we'll pay you for it. But then after, say, a few years of development, they say, oh, we can't really accomplish that. So we now switch to a 120 millimeter gun. Okay, that, like, right there all, all, also threw away a few years. Right? Uh, the German, uh, whoever, whichever company was a uh, German company that was responsible for the engine development. Also messed up, basically like promising way too much and not being able to keep up their promise. So the horsepower tonnage was off, right? Because the United States, who were designing the chassis at the time, was like, okay, we have a big engine, we can throw stuff on there. But then the German engine came up short, and it's like, oh, wow, all those plants just went to the dumpster. Right? And then there was this back and forth, uh, with, uh, and then like later on, it even got worse. Uh, so this project was just a MPT-70 just through like a, uh, yeah, a millions after millions of dollars into it with nothing that came out. So uh, like they, like, you know, we're scope creeping, 
They wanted the tanks to do kill tanks. They want the tank to fight infantry. They want the tanks to be able to fight off aircraft. They want the tank to be able to do scouting. They want the tank to be able to do this, do that. And it just became this really expensive machine with like all these decked out cannons and sensors. It looked like a freaking Frankenstein monster. And nothing worked. It had these like huge ass optics, a 20 millimeter cannon on top of a coaxial machine gun. And uh, which like are all just unnecessary, and every single one of those features are all made by different companies, and they've never put it onto the same platform before and stuck a few crew in there to say, hey, like, can you actually reach your hand over this and like, like keep track of all of this? And of course, the answer is no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. later on it got worse. Uh, before we have the uh, the kind of um. M1 Abrams tank that we know today. Uh, like, M1 Abrams are actually a result of, like, America just basically saying, oh, God, those Germans are scamming us, so let's just do it on our own, right? So um, what ended up happening is, uh, like, if you look at... Um, it was still a, like, at first, for a very long time, still just a huge waste. Um, so... Ford and Chrysler all had to develop their own models. It was like roughly the same thing. Like if just like if you just look at like what that thing looks like, if uh, uh, the General Motors and the General Chrysler model were all shit, their armor was composite, but it was actually worse than some of the regular steel things. Which, mind you, this was already like in the late 80s, and they were worse than some of the 70s Soviet tanks. So, like, that's that's just clearly ridiculous. Um, but also, then the typical problem of uh, General Mo uh, General Motor and uh, Chrysler all using different engines, different chassis, different transmissions, even though the thing looks similar on the outside, every single little thing in there is not compatible. It got to the point where they had to work together to get a new thing. And that thingy wasn't even so good, the first M1 Abrams. The M1A2 was good because they finally, after, I don't know, 35, 40 years at this point, finally, for the love of God, sorted through all their problems. And, you know, it was good because, you know, 40 years of scope creeping, right? They finally achieved it. So, like, this kind of, like, mega... Like masterpiece of like a scope creeping thingy that is like so incredibly expensive and it worked, you know. But like until then, for like a good thirty years, it was just like shit. And so like uh, the most recent thing I can think of is uh, one of my friends uh, who uh, I think yeah, um, I think I told you about him before. He he uh, studies uh, computer engineering, has a uh, internship with uh, Raytheon, the company that made F-16 fighter. Right? He told me that uh, the next generation of U.S. main battle tank, that was one year and a half ago, uh, he said it's already like pretty much, like all the technology is pretty much good to go. And so like I kept asking him, because at the time I didn't know that like, he had like, he like is like working with Raytheon, so... Of course, he can't tell me, right? But, like, so from what, for what he can tell me is, like, they have, like, these, like, amazing technologies that are just, like, sitting in a garage and are just there, like, rotting. 
because it's all patented. And they can't, like, you can't get to it. You can't even know its specifications without applying because, you know, trade is secret, right? So, like, like backing back to Triz, the whole thing that we were talking about before. So, Triz had a lot of this, like, uh, like a kind of um, algorithms to, say, quote, quote, unquote, figure out problems and know how to deal with how can you, uh, so like systematically from a macro perspective, like uh, try to analyze and sort out stuff to focus on, right? How can you do that if you don't even know the specifications of all the little pieces of things that you're working with? So like the classic MBT70 problem, right? I don't know how big the optic is. I don't know how I'm supposed to fit an electronic system that's from... Tice Optics versus fucking Sony. I'm not sure if Sony was involved. Versus Panasonic. You know, none of them have told me the dimension of their stuff and the power output and input it requires. What kind of adapter am I supposed to use? How big of a hole? What shape of a hole should I leave for it? If so, can the crew still fit in there? Can the dude's hand reach around the corner? Is this too much stuff for the crew to handle at once? Is there like 20-something thingy happening on the screen with different light bulbs of green, red, and yellow all at once? It's like there is no way you can coordinate any of that without any some kind of central planning system. So this is a product of what are referred to as stovepipes. Specialized, closed of fields with information that's presented without proper context, or something like this. Yeah, yeah, and the kind of uh, the quote-unquote free market kind of system that we have. Because, like, you can't really design it because, like, in order to make a thing, you have to buy parts from different companies. But if it gets to a point where everything is classified and everything is trade secret, you either pay the money ahead of time and just, like, buy a bunch of unnecessary technology that can't be used and just waste a ton of money that way, or... You start a project and you don't pay for any of it. You try to guess what it looks like, but then when you get it, 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 it just doesn't fit together the way that you want it to. It's one one of two choices. There really isn't no like third outcome here. In a capitalist world has always been nasty. So when you have a cooperative project like this between multiple companies without a central coordinator and you just let these companies go, it's like they can't open up. They can't give all this data out because in a way they are right, you know, in order to not get fucked by their competitors. They do have to keep everything secret. But then, like, that's obviously hugely detrimental to any kind of cooperative object, a sub, uh, cooperative kind of um, project. But here's the catch, though. Uh, these days, everything is a cooperative subject uh, project. So, like, uh, and, like, this is funny because, like, this is, like, we, we just went from, like, the tech world 
back to like the kind of Marxist theory world of like socialization of production, right? It's a huge word, but it, all it means is just like uh, cooperation. Uh, like in order to make a thing, you need like uh, if like more people are cooperating, or or like more people from different backgrounds or from different places are cooperating, that's like socialization, right? Because like production, made the okay, the process of making this thing has been now just expanded onto a societal scale, right? That's what that's mean meant by socialization of production. So, like, if you think about it, uh, if the progress from prehistory history to what we have now is just more and more expanded cooperation between, say, um, you know, families, villages, kingdoms, to uh, all the way to nations, all the way to right now international cooperation, right? Like, it's more and more socialized production. Then, like, when we now have a situation where, like, this kind of uber socialization of production is just the norm in order to make, like, anything, in order to make a freaking juice blender, you need, like, multinational, multi, multi-corporational production. Then it's, like, how, like, in that way, like, no, like, free market almost just doesn't make sense anymore. On the one hand, you want all these companies to like smoothly cooperate as much as possible, but on the other hand, these all these companies are trying to rip each other off in one way or another. Let me switch out if Boris voice here so I import more clear. Ahem. What do you think about the debate between Elon Musk's buddy Peter Thiel uh-huh. and the anarchist author and anthropologist David Grieber here? Okay. How Grieber points out how capitalism holds back innovation and etc. Basically, why we still don't have flying cars. <laughs> I think Elon Musk partly sent his Tesla to space to make a rhetorical point on that. What do you think? Um, I don't know what to say to that. Like, I don't know. I don't know who that dude is. There are like, I'll just tell you this though. Uh, there are like a few people in like quote unquote academia and journalism. That are like consistently wrong. Every prediction they make is like the precise opposite. Comrade, would have them all be locked in a Moscow minute. And they, well, they still have a career, which is sad. Um, so, uh, uh, like the easy example I can think of is uh, Gordon Chang, I think, uh, the, the 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 guy that's on China, he who predicts uh, the dissolution of China every year. So like if like my like my friend says like in China says like if this dude one day says like oh China is going to improve now like no like that's like the end of China so like I don't know what to tell you about that uh Peter uh what's his last name dude Peter Thiel right Peter Thiel dude but like I have a feeling that like it's the same kind of dude that we're Another example I can give you is: uh, Are you aware of uh, Juicero? That whole thing. Yep. Okay, so Juicero is this uh, is, is this company that makes like this machine that's and like this juice pack, like months, like literal fruit juice nutrition uh, monthly subscription, where uh, like you buy their machine and you buy like the monthly subscription of like these like supposedly highly nutritional. Uh, ju- juice packs, and uh, they like you put it in the machine, and the machine squeezes it out for you. Right? 
So how it got a lot of flack is that um, it, it was ludicrously expensive, but that's not like, the problem. Because like, people are willing to buy that, and that's like a whole scam industry in itself, right? But like, uh, so the problem is that uh, they have made a machine where like every single one of their like, first of all, the machine requires you to get an app and a sign up. Uh, like for like a like a thing where it tracks your location. That's the first part. The second part is uh, like every single one of those juice packs uh, has like a QR code. So if you put in like a juice pack of the same dimension from another company, it wouldn't even do it. Thirdly, those juice are just regular stuff. Like all it takes is like like all it is is just a machine that squeezes juice out. Like, people have literally done it with, like, two frying pans and a pair of scissors. And, uh, fourth, it's, like, ludicrously expensive, right? And fifth is it claims to be environmentally friendly. So, like, you ship back any of the plastic wrappings, right? So they will recycle it for you, basically. But, like, here's the, pro here's the problem. Shipping. Shipping requires a lot of cardboard and a lot of gas, right? So, so, like, that's just, like, counterproductive. So, like, it, it somehow, man, it was an internet phenomenon. It somehow managed to drew, like, anger and hatred from every single demographic on the American internet. Like, the cosmetic people and the redneck people were both mad at it. It's, like, this unique time where, like, the entire internet united to fight this one evil boss. And, okay, here's the more ludicrous stuff about it. So Google saw this thing, and they were somehow, like, we don't know if this is money laundering. There definitely could be an element into this. Where, like, they just, like, threw, like, $35 million onto it or something. Because uh, the, 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 the company started on uh, GoFundMe, I think. Or, like, one of those sites. This is a lot of vodka bottle service. Maybe buy myself high-intech helicopter just to show off to friend. Yeah, yeah, and uh, all those money, of course, went to waste. Right? We had like that like, after it got so much flack, nobody bought it. Uh, that whole startup just went to waste. But like, here's the problem, though: all these huge internet companies are just like started throwing like tens of dozens of millions of dollars on onto this little shitty ass thing, as like, oh shit, this is gonna be the big idea. Like what? Yeah, you know, that's the first thing. The second thing is like somehow like they like along with other like GoFundMe type things, like uh you know, like they were like able to get like just mysterious money from God knows where. So like people are thinking that like go uh, like uh, place uh, places like GoFundMe and these sites are just now being used as money laundering, right? Like, uh, like you can just set up fake checking accounts and just send yourself money to turn like illegal money into legit money because hey I started this shitty business I didn't even put any effort into it it's clearly an idea that's gonna fail but I somehow still managed to get millions of dollars because of my entrepreneur genius this right so that's the second part the third part is that somebody like uh, there's this one guy that runs like an engineering uh, like, a, like a taking stuff apart kind of channel, and he's like an electrical mechanical engineer, right? And they took it apart. And this is like where it's Triz related. 
Um, basically, uh, they took it apart and realized that, like, the thing is, like, the machine, the juice squeezing machine, hey, the mechanical piece itself is super well made. Like, there has been serious money thrown into this. Like, this engineer dude YouTube channel is, like, completely independent from all the other YouTube channel that we're talk channels that we're talking about the finance or advertising side of it, right? So his conclusion, just from his background of being an engineer, is that some parts of this is made from like the most expensive, ludicrous, over the top, like CNC laser cutting out, high precision, aeronautic grade aluminum parts. But then uh, some other parts are just like, like, uh, like literally, like just fucking glued together pieces of dollar shit. Maybe they are trying to build a business model around something that uses this component as a way to fund the costs of developing it to use in some other application. Maybe, if that makes any sense. Well, this was based on like this idea of like the uh, like this inter like what was it called? Uh, the internetization of objects. This idea that they had. Internetization. Yeah, you know, things. Right, 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 exactly. This was stemmed from that, you know. So. Uh, so, uh, anyways, let me let me let me get back to. So he discovered that like some parts are like literally aeronautic grade, like loom, aluminum parts. But then, uh, so like the other parts are just like glued together chips that you got at like Radio Shack or some secondhand electronics junk store, right? So he clearly like just like from the just like the basic rules of like designing like uh, these machines, like okay, what like do you start with? Then what you finish with, so like there's a process, you know? and he said like this is clearly the, it just looks like like the the business kind of finance department people took over the company, and then just t told the engineering department that uh, told them like you have all the money in the world to just go ham, and then the engineering department just had like a fucking uh, like just had a literal joke session. Of, like this is hilarious. We're gonna do all this crazy stuff because we have the money. Why do we care? So because like typically like one of the principle is that like if you can make like a cheap thing that you had to spend as little cost as possible, um, still like uh, still like of like uh like they don't mount, uh, still like make it reliable, minimal viable product, and make it mass producible and make it like aesthetically pleasing. That's called well engineered. But this was just the opposite case of it was just like, hey, we have twenty million dollars. Let's just um have a meme session and just like draw up like the most ludicrous thing on freaking Google SketchUp and see what happens. This is that. Like this is literally that. And whenever they uh, and when they got hurried to push out the product uh, of like the part they haven't finished, they just like copy and paste the two dollar piece into there and call it a day. So like this is like a capitalist engineering one on one right here. I could have bought a lot of blow and hooker for that. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than you, Sarah, my man. That is some real silicone valley fuck you money. Well the other thing is not maintained because it's not profitable. The F-22 stopped production, and uh, it's been crashing. So, like, nobody knows how to make the F-22 anymore, first of all. And the second thing is, like, you won, like the more they crash, like, every for every single one, 
that is crashing. Like it, that thing's not coming back. So, so yeah, uh, the 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 it's it's yeah, exactly. The they stopped production because they thought that like the rest of the world uh, is not going to be able to come up with another stealth fighter, fourth, fifth generation uh, kind of fighter. And then, so they stopped production because they wouldn't need that many, right? So making more wouldn't be profitable anymore. But then, like, like China turned right around and made J20 public right after they shut down production. And uh, they still, like, there has been talks, of course, about restarting production of F-22. But uh, just due to, oh, 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 hey, hey, uh, I think I've talked to you about this before. Um, the the uh, go look up uh, Pentagon Wars on YouTube. The uh, talks about the kind of uh, like waste of military engineering, the stuff that we've been talking about before. But like, there's like more projects to it, right? So the movie talks about uh, the uh, Bradley Infantry Fighting Vehicle, which uh, is a ball of a story in and of itself. Go watch that movie. Uh, there's like a two-hour free version on YouTube. You don't even have to pay like three dollars to see it. It's pretty hilarious. It's good comedy. I'm it's, sorry, sir. All information in this office is classified. So, what is ruminant procurement anyway? That's what this office has been created to do. Yeah, but what is it? The analysis and policy determination for the parameters about which will be tendered research data on the optimal test ruminant. Such ruminants are to be cheap. You're talking about sheep. You're in charge of buying the sheep, correct? We can't just go out and buy sheep, sir. Well, why not? We're doing a vaporifics test on sheep. I mean, vaporifics is all about what happens when a warhead penetrates armor. The metal particles vaporize and form a large fireball that fills the troop tent. I know what a vaporifics test is. I'm the one who called for it. Well, then you know we have to have sheep specs before we can proceed. Sheep specs? What is sheep specs? Specifications, shorn or unshorn, um, rams, ewes or lambs, merinos or short hair, I mean shorn merino ewes or unshorn merino rams, bighorns or domestic, domestic shorn lambs or bighorn unshorn. Just how long will it take you to get your sheep specs? Not long at all. Six, eight months tops. And then we can go to tender on the research debt. But then we'll require another eight months to evaluate the debt. After which we can move in the prototype ruminant evaluation. Uh, uh, but uh, it gets even better because, like, right now, like, like yeah, for like anyone that's listening or just for you, I guess. Um, after you watch that movie, you'll have an exact idea of like what we're like what, what I'm kind of talking about here, and like I'm referring to as like capitalist engineering, engineering at its finest. Then. Uh, I'll just tell you this. F-35 is uh, Pentagon Wars 2, Electric Boogaloo. There's this like chart on Instagram, right, talking about the performance of aircrafts. Uh, like, of, like, all the mil uh, like, modern, like, Western kind of military planes. Of all of them, like, in all, like, performance criteria in terms of, like, speed, altitude, uh, serviceable altitude, maneuverability, uh, uh, range of operation, and then carrying load capacity, the five, the big five, right? Big five criteria. Um, F-35 is the worst. A plane that's made in like the 2010s is worse than like, like a plane that's made in 1990s. Uh, because again, scope creeping. Uh, the they wanted this to be an air superiority fighter, 
but also ground pound, uh, ground uh, attack aircraft. They want it to be vertical takeoff. They also want it to be stealth. They also want it to uh, do reconnaissance. They also want it to do electronic warfare. So, like the thing, the thing is, uh, the nickname in China of the F thirty five is called the Fat Lightning. Uh, it's it's called the Electric Lightning officially, right? Uh, it's hilarious. The the, the 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 thingy is like just the worst, the worst in every single criteria possible. And last but not least, uh, Japan's F thirty five crashed into the ocean because the pilot's cockpit didn't have enough oxygen. That's just like a huge negligence, and the pilot fell asleep, and the aircraft just poof. Das ist ein Kurs von Wot Pilots Call the G-Lock. Where they pass out from too much G-Force? No, 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 no. Just from flying straight because there was no oxygen. Like in order to cram all that equipment in, the oxygen tank was too small, and the company that made the oxygen tank, the tube was leaking. And so like it was literally flying straight, and the pilot just like passed out, and you know, it just. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's capitalist engineering is bad. Right, 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 the Blackberries and the Motorola's, right, right. It uh, it came up with uh, basically with the iPhone four, like the concept of like the best smartphone or like what a smartphone should be. Define a generation of things, right? So, and like every phone by any company afterwards, pretty much had to emulate them in those regards, right? So, yeah, no, that that is like uh, like good on Apple, you know. That is like actual solid designing and engineering for once. Yeah. Well, I remember when I remember we this was in China. Uh, they had like these um. Like pseudo touch screens, so like it's like really like it's like really uh, kind of bad touch screen. In order to like make it like fancy, exciting, or or whatever, like they say, like we have like double core processors, uh, two SIM cards, uh, movie like experience, uh, intelligent touch screen, and I was just sitting there with like my Motorola brick of a phone, and I was like. And like uh, that was like my my mom's phone at the time I think, and like I played with it for like ten minutes. I was like, this is boring. I'm I'm just gonna go back to playing Snake on my Motorola. I'm not gonna bother with like playing Snake on that funk little. First thing uh, from ideological level we already talked about is just like it inherently requires centralized planning, right? So that's the first part. The second part would be like it takes the mysticism out of designing. So like it takes personalized stuff out of designing. So then like you know uh, since liberal capitalism is all about personal stuff. Artisanal hipster as holes that I will gladly automate out of existence. Right, right, artisanal. That's a better word. Um, then, like, if you take that out, it's like goodbye, right? Goodbye to every single little designer, contractor ever. And third is just like it. It's like so efficient. It's too efficient. It's so extremely efficient to the point 
where it eliminates any kind of need, uh, need or possibility for like a market of spam. Because like uh, the market, uh, if we look at say like 1980s uh, Japan and how they uh, their tech empire of Sony and etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, declined basically, how they didn't catch up with the kind of smart age, right? And then we look at the cell phone market right now with um, iPhone four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and all the uh, competitor phones from all the other companies. So this, like, there is just this kind of like this kind of like oversaturation of just like a ocean of crap info and products that is like different enough to be a different product, but are like functionally basically the same thing. So like all these like fake flavors. So like think like Burger King versus versus McDonald's versus um. Okay, you know what? In and Out Burger is better. I'm sorry, <laughs> they're objectively better. But like, you see my point. So like it's all the same stuff with slightly different flavors, and that's the nature of capitalism. So if you think about like a cyberpunk kind of landscape, uh, like uh, if you go to like take a street view of Hong Kong or Chinatown uh, or Flushing, the Flushing in New York City and the Chinatown in uh, Los Angeles, or go to Hong Kong at night, um, the street lights are like cancerous. There is like 200 advertisement just being fitted into like a little cramped space of like six to ten square foot of all different colors, of all different sizes, all trying to like reach over each other and to be more eye grabbing, but are really all just selling the same shit. So like that is the nature of capitalism in a kind of like a in like a arts and aesthetics a little thread. Uh, I've uh, it was in China, uh, but like I've seen like this whole debate of like, well, I like this kind of cyberpunk aesthetic, and then another person would be like, no, this looks atrocious. Why would I need 200 advertisement in three square foot? You know, and the two sides like just kind of like went at it without even understanding like the political and ideological basis of like what even is like what even led to that kind of thing. You know, and I just looked at it. I was like, ah. So pro extreme late capitalism versus anti extreme late capitalism, basically. Because like if you think about like my analogy of like uh in like this little five square foot area that you have like the a wonton shop, a dumpling shop, a pot sticker shop, a uh, cell phone repair service, a mailing service, a money transaction service. It's it's overwhelming. It's disgusting. But then some people like they think this is like prosperity to them. But like no, it's not prosperity. They think this is like freedom or choice to them. But like you see, like we all understand this is like the opposite of having choice. Capitalist voice to win. Exactly. It's just a like an ocean of spam and dump of trash, basically unnecessary, redundant, inefficient, wasteful everything. And yeah, well, some people love it, some people hate it, of course. That's... Remind me of trying to find the job on the Craigslist in Big City like Los Angeles where every other listing is scam of some kind or other. Yeah, well, uh, hell, uh, the, you know, what I can think of is like a bit different, but like I try to download like a mod for a video game online. Like, jeez, the amount of scam downloads and the amount of uh, inappropriate ads and then the kind of uh, amount of... um. Fake downloading IP addresses, like, like how is this prosperity? 
who in their right mind thinks that this is like luxury? Let's go back to the Chinatown Flushing New York example again, right? Because I've been there several times. Like all of those food are made from shitty quality meat and products. They probably they use like the crappiest of grease oils as well. How is different iterations of that healthy for you? I would take just like high quality chicken breast every day for the rest of my life over that shit. Because I guarantee you, even though high quality chicken breast for the rest of your life tastes boring, it's good for you. Versus that stuff for the rest of your life, you won't live past 20 years. And, and, like, health in Chinatown is like notoriously bad, right? A lot of people live and die there and never leave that whole corner with a life expectancy of like 50, 60 years. That's just, you know. And it's like, we wonder why. Well, like, isn't it obvious? Like, it's, like this, like we already had like, perfect analogies of uh, like just these kind of late ultra capitalism. In fact, like the entire genre of cyberpunk was to warn people of this kind of dystopic capitalist future. But you know, like we we think like we now like turn around and think it's amazing. And any kind of uh, thing that tries to point it out, like the um, video game that's coming out, uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, just gets. Um, uh, well, colluded and adopted into mainstream culture. Right? Now, Reeves come out, make a few memes, and then say a few like pseudo deep thing. Have him to go to the, you know, all respects to him. Like he seems like a good person personally, but then like in this situation, he's just used as like a useful idiot to make the cyberpunk future not dystopic. It's satirical anymore in the grander theme, right? Him talk nice and go to the shooting range to do some dope ass tactical action and yay, you, you like you got it you like you have just taken away like the revolutionary and satirical root of an entire subculture and made it mainstream. Yeah, uh, right. Because, like, for example, um, the kind of technology that SpaceX uses re is really just mostly, like, like Nazi tech from NASA, basically. It's like paperclip people and uh, Soviet detector tech, basically. Apple is the result of some form of socialism within the state. Oh, yeah. No, the Silicon Valley is a socialist program. Uh, Caleb often talked about this. So back in, uh, during that time, like, yeah, I say it's like these strategists kind of uh, basically made a conscious decision of like, hey, this is something that we can afford. And this is something that we can potentially beat the Soviets at without a whole lot of investment. So it was a, a strategic investment by U.S. tax money. And uh, only until uh, for like decades on end and until very, not until very recently, the capitalists moved in because there is no profit incentive, right? The capitalists won't like, Take that kind of risks, if you if you will. Like they take risks, but not like decade or centuries long strategic risks. That's something they're not capable of. So this was like the the foundations of that entire thing was all the product of tax money and state centralized control. So it's like uh, the other day, uh, I saw a tweet on uh, Twitter. 
Uh, so, like, basically saying, like, uh, the rip capitalism hashtag was trending. Like, all these people tweeting rip capitalism are tweeting from devices that's made by capitalism. That's actually not true. Because the foundation of all of it, Silicon Valley, was a socialist project. I mean, the internet is, too. Like, it's like a use, it was developed as, like, a, this, like, nuclear communication. No, uh, even tracing back historically, the American railroad system, like literally the trains, the train tracks, was also this kind of capitalist, overwhelming, spam trash production type thing. It's like it was a period of uh, like the uh, cross North America railroad, right? So it got to a point where if you just like invest and build railroads, you can't really lose money. It was how much money you could make, but not like you really can't lose any money. So what happened is like you would have like five to six rails all built to different standards of different width, different depth, with requiring different patented train engines for like just one crappy little town. And then so there was like an absolute overabundance of rail to the point where like when the when gasoline and internal combustion engine came around. Like, they lost money hard. And it was right around the time of the Great Depression, too. So the nation state had to step in and nationalize it. And now we have Amtrak, right? And they had to standardize it. They have to streamline it. They have to, uh, uh, like, only keep one per town and either blow up or just somehow get rid of all the other ones. A centralized planning approach. Have, like, a national train kind of network. It's like, ah, uh, huh, so we've seen this stuff in action before. But it's like we almost like forgot like lessons of AP US high school, high school AP US history. It's like we've forgotten the high school history. It's, it's, it's ridiculous because the cell market, for example, or any of the other kind of industries are mostly right now going through the same shit. You know, COVID-19 is obviously like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, spark that ignited the gunpowder barrel, right? But, like, the problem is, like, the phenomenon leaving up to it, we've seen it again and again and again and again. But without a centralized planning system and with everybody just in the market for themselves, like, just deteriorating down to this kind of, like, Mexican standoff gladiatorial competition where, where nobody can really win, and the only way to stay alive and not drown is just to keep pumping out trash and then flooding the entire place with trash and try to keep your head above it. And then it's like when it bursts, they die hard. Just like goodbye. And that's what we're seeing right now. It's funny because the lessons from the 1910s and 1920s hasn't been learned. It's been 100 years. The lesson from the, 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 the epidemiological lesson from the influenza still hasn't been learned. So like, like we have not improved. It's like we have not solved any of the problems that we thought we overcame. Because like things don't change until you do actively change it. Right? It's like a law. Uh, I mean, law of physics. An uh, object stays in constant motion unless another force kind of intervenes, right? So like, if if we didn't like go out of our way to change things in an attempt to avoid that mistake, like we're not saying like the mistakes won't ever happen again. We're just saying, like, it's an attempt. If an attempt hasn't even been made, then why do we expect a different outcome? We can't. 
but somehow through modern liberalism and just like the goldfish memory span of the people of the world, but specifically of the West, like we 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 have somehow imagined that oh we are better now. We're nice now, but like we haven't done anything to change that. It's all just thinking. It's all just floating on nothing. You know? Exactly, because the you know um, history of humanity is how Marxism, Marxism came about. Like you don't like we don't just like those points are like way too specific to be just random but like that's what liberals would like you think like all positions are just random and all positions are just relative but no some positions are based on actually like studying what happened in history and some positions are just rhetorical positions and, like, it gets to the point where like even a sociopath can enjoy a better life just through the increase of human civilization but like they are taking like the only potential of increase of interestingness of the world away from themselves that I don't know what to say. This is all making me depressed. You have to go drink now. Have a good day, comrade. Thank you for your time. Yeah, uh, no problem. All right, see you later. is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.